Hello and welcome to Yogmoth Soap Opera. We're here this week with uh, Andy, but not that normal Andy, our new Andy, Andy Montolio. How's it going, buddy? Uh, great. Good to be here, guys. Good to see you. And we're also here with uh, Zach, a.k.a. Abstract, and, of course, the other co-host, Mr. Josh, a.k.a. Cronin. How's it going, dude? Good. We've got a new co-host, our other Andy, stepped away for a while here, so... We have Montolio filling in the shoes and becoming the new co-host, so that's pretty pretty nice to see as well. Mm-hmm, exciting stuff. Easy transition, you know. You just uh, figured you'd take in the other Andy here. Exactly. We don't even have to change the names in the article. That's what I'm thinking. <laughs> How are you doing, Zach? Yeah, I'm doing good, dude. Busy at work, but uh, it's nice to get a little break every once in a while and do some magic-related stuff. The important stuff, classic. We've got a jam-packed show today. We've got uh, round six results as well as the entire top eight results. And a couple of daily events and a spotlight with one of our clan mates, the Wild Dog. Awesome. Let's jump in. All right. Let's start with round six. Uh, A little bit old news by now, but actually round... Or the... Top eight played out so quickly that it's not that old. Uh, looks like Gaines Banding played against Exo 13X in the final round. Delver versus versus Metalworker Stax, and Stax took that one with Exo 13X. And next up, we've got the Chris one with his Dredge versus Chris Cool with the Green White Hate bringing it back from the dead. And I believe they just split. Took this down. Oh, uh, they split. Yeah, they just split into top eight. Yeah. Next up, up we have this guy abstract against uh, Cat Weasel. And uh, I didn't get it done, so she made it to the top eight. And, uh, yeah, it was a rough beat, but uh, like I said before it ever started, at least I lost to a clammy, and a good one at that. Absolutely. It's a tough match. Uh, Next, we have another draw between Planet Walls and Calavera. They just... Drew into the top eight themselves. And another one, Uvatha versus Tim Graham. I guess they didn't take the time to meet up. They were well out of top eight contentions. They just drew their match as well. Hey, did Tim Graham actually take down a match in this tournament? Uh, I think it's a bye, if he has any points. Okay, okay. Next up, we've got Ilskin. Playing his Dark Times versus Uncle with four color Delver, and Uncle won that. Um, next up, we have Game Master 32, Rockin' Affinity, against Naoto, walking uh, Welder Strikes. And you'd think that'd be a matchup that would not be in Affinity's favor, but Kaya took it down against all those uh, Welders and stuff like that, so congrats to you. I guess he's got enough artifacts, unlike a traditional. Stacks build to be able to fight through welders. Yeah. They just belch them out, turn one. Yeah. Uh, up next, Digi Digi 84 on Blue White Stone Forge played NCSU 31SB on Affinity, and Affinity also took that one. So Affinity's that, a real uh, deck, man. Oh, absolutely. I hate it, and I think it's a piece of crap, but it's a real deck. Yeah, it's a hideous abomination, but. You put all those crappy cards together, and somehow they're good. It's kind of like green-white hate, honestly. There's a lot of uh, 
a lot of indirect center symmetry. Yeah, uh, but you look at green-white hate cards, and it's a bunch of effects that you would want, and when you put them all together, they're powerful enough for classic, whereas affinity cards, it's things you don't even want. Well, it's it's the same principle in, in a more extreme level. It's yeah, they're things you don't want, but in a deck full of other hideous crap, it's totally what you do want. <laughs> I guess it's like diarrhea. <laughs> so, newsflash for the listeners here: in case you were wondering, Zach has already submitted his deck for season two, and he will be playing Affinity. <laughs> <laughs> Next up, we have Tim Irwin on High Tide versus our good buddy Can Tripping playing Tendril Storm, and Can Tripping took that down. Fast combo against slow combo. Yeah, no chance there. Next up, we had a uh, an ID. We had Alberto Rodell versus Excorbio. Two good players, two guys going to the top eight. Up after that, another draw was Foil Tarmogoyf owns you against Slug360. And another draw, Pit Lord against One Million Words. Good old one million words, I tell you. Next up, we've got the fishy fellow with Shof, one of Zach's favorites for his Durnoff, playing his three-color noble fish, and fishy fellow was able to take that. And that was to get into the top eight, so that was actually Big one match. of the most important matches in round six. Yeah. Durnoff ended up in ninth place, I believe. Ouch. So these next two fellas uh, are the Wild Dog, playing his four-colored Delver, Gush Delver building. That, that was against me, the Metalworker Stocks, and I was able to win that one in two games uh, with the Wild Dog's favorite card, which we're going to find out about later, is the Lodestone Golem. Yeah, I think that was, from what I saw, the match is pretty convincing, uh, pretty convincing Stacks win there. Yeah, it uh, wasn't enough in the end, though. Round six put me through to 12th place, so ran up a little bit shy. An equally convincing win. This guy, Cronin, against Blue Diamonds. Nice, buddy. From what I saw, Cronin just did an amazing job. <laughs> nice. Next up, we got... Uh... Uh, two clannies. We got Mooncan and Kownos. And uh, Kownos took down uh, Merfolk with his 4C Snapcaster control. That's a little surprising, I would think. Yeah, it is surprising. I guess Mooncan mustn't have had too many creatures going or lords and just probably fell to lightning bolts. Yeah. Snapcasters and lightning bolts. That's the only way I see him winning that one, Kownos. And the final round six, the last Swiss match, Call Me Dragon against Philip J. Fry. And Call Me Dragon on 4C Delver took out the Belcher deck. What do you know? 4C Delver ends out the tournament. Jesus. I know. There's a lot of copy and paste in there with that 4C Delver list. I suspect we'll be seeing an equal amount of those decks in the next league. Yeah, that's a popular archetype. So looking at the standings at the end of the Swiss round in the article here, we have see that there were a lot of people that were right on the edge of top eight points that just didn't quite make it. 
ninth through 13th place all had 12 points, and it was 13 points was the cutoff to make it in, so... You know what's terrible is I'm looking at my tiebreakers, and I would have definitely made it at 7th if I had won. Oh, yeah. Sad face. points. Well, yeah, but there's 8 other people with 13+, plus, so I'm just looking at tiebreakers. Montolio on 12. Travesty. Just a travesty. You needed to go 5-1. and one. Yeah, or... Or four and zero to begin things, and then you could draw in. Or you know, if you start a buy, you could have gone four buy and lost. Did anybody get in with a buy? Top eight? No, no, I don't think. so. I think Duranos was the closest. He he lost round one, and then got a buy, and then won a few straight. So he was close. He could have gotten in with a win in round six, but he did not. So after that, the top eight are as follows. In eighth, Alberto Rodolve. Seventh is Excorpio. Sixth was Chris Cool. Fifth was Calavera. Fourth was Planet Walls. Third was the Crisp One. Second was Cat Weasel. And first was Fishy Fellow. Yeah, so I just start, start by saying congratulations to everyone who made the top eight in the league. It's, uh, it's quite an achievement, and those are the guys that are in gal that have uh, qualified already now for the invitational at the end of the four seasons. So already they're sitting nice, and now the top eight played out with first fishy fellow playing Alberto Rodolve. And Alberto Rodolve on Forcey Delver managed to beat Choth there. I think Next that up. could almost go either way. I think it's probably tight play that won that for Alberto Delve because, you know, it's just typically a Delver's really good. It's just not that great in that matchup. Well, you know what card it was? It was actually a single card that won it for Alberto Delve, and that was Flusterstorm. Yeah. Fishy, Fe- I actually saw the match. Fishy Fellow was, he was bringing it. He just kept coming at him with oafs and show-and-tells, and Albert Tordolf just actually had an answer every single time. And I believe it was a show-and-tell, eh, Josh, in the end, where he got caught with the uh, counter counter battle over the show-and-tell? I think he ended up finally resolving one just a turn too late. Yeah, okay. He died to a few Tarmogoyfs on the table. So it was very close. And the videos for all the top eight pairings are linked in the article. We'll get the top four in the finals uh, probably in the next article. Yeah. Okay, and next up we have our friend Planet Walls playing his birthing pod shops against the clanmate Calavera with his merfolk deck. And Planet Walls was able to win this one. That was a long drawn out match. Yeah, it sure was. Uh, going in, I actually thought that Planet Walls might have a little bit of an edge on this, on Calavera. But after a, a masterful game won by Calavera, I changed my mind saying, yeah, maybe you can pull this off. But, uh, but that Gilded Drake coming into play, and I actually think he stole uh, uh, Elish Nor from Planet Walls. Game one. But yeah, Planet Walls in the end just locked him out with tempo and spheres. 
good good match. stuff. Next up, we have uh, the crispy one on Dredge against Chris Cool and Green White Hate. And uh, yeah, what do you know? The deck that hates on pretty much everything in the world hates on probably the most hateable deck in the tournament. So. Uh, and surprisingly, Chris Cool actually won game one in this one. Came wow. down to a lot of mulligans from the crisp one and some bad dredges off a couple of a couple of bizarres that he had. That always makes me think of my uh, season two finals match against Stuart Olk, where he mulliganed to zero cards trying to find a bizarre. <laughs> yeah, that was game one. And yeah. Chris one actually found two bizarres. He mulled down to like two, and both of them were bizarres. Wow. Didn't have any dredgers, though. Yeah, he didn't have any dredgers, and Chris Cool had a couple of wastelands. Ouch. A little bit of luck there, I'd say. Definitely. Last up is another clanmate, Cat Weasel against Excorpio. And Cat Weasel, with her good game, Shoth, uh, was able to fight through Excorpio on his regular Shoth build. Very nice. That's two really good players, so... Yeah. If you're and just checking Classic out in passing, this is usually like the kind of match you want to watch. Yeah, we've got the replays of their of their match. Excorpio uh, doesn't have Dragon's Breath, unlike Cat Weasel, and so she actually resolved a Jace in the last game. Oh, yeah, that's... <laughs> you just had no way to... That's rough, dude. I mean, I, that was, like, my two least favorite things when playing straight shows were uh, definitely Jace and Caracas are the two least favorite things in the world that you can see. Yeah. Yeah, particularly Caracas. Can't answer that. That's just... Not so much if you're playing Grizzle show, but... Well, they're all legendary. Well, funny side note in my game against Catweasel, game one I actually really blew her out because she did something pretty crazy. We were playing, and I had a Caracas on the table, right? So she was already, like, a little bit worried. I obviously wasn't going to tap it for anything. But then she decided to play a show-and-tell, and she put down a Grizzle brand. I think she just wanted to draw seven, but she she didn't know that I had a Blightsteel in my hand. <laughs> so I bronzed her Grizzle brand and just attacked with a Blightsteel. It was pretty funny. Awesome. So, then we moved on to the top four, and the pairings were Alberto Dahl against Planet Walls, and Alberto managed to take that. That was another... Pod Shops Falls. Yeah, that was another drawn-out match, and Alberto just had had the juice to get through. You know, on, on a side note, guys, I really want to give, like, a big props to Planet Walls for bringing his, like... Very innovative, you know, one-of-a-kind deck to Classic. I'm really looking forward to see what he brews up for the next one. Yeah, I mean, who would have seen that? When we looked at that, back when we had our Dude, freaking show junk with divers. Junk divers! Yeah. You would have hey, never said, oh, this is top four. This is perhaps the most innovative deck I've ever seen come into Classic. Like, a birthing pod in shops? Unbelievable. Yeah, congratulations. What a... Excellent showing. But well, it'll be interesting to see if somebody else pilots that deck in the next round. I, <laughs> I don't think so. Well, you never know. So next up, we've got Cat Weasel with their Grizzle Show versus Chris Cool with his green-white hate. And Chris Cool was able to win that. 
I, I don't think that's a really big surprise. He's got yeah. uh, he's got so much hate for for Oath in general. He's got lots of wastelands, uh, ghost quarters, trip mines, and I think Catwoods will have difficulty with that. I've always had trouble when I play Oath against Green White Hate. Just so many ways to get you. We should note how close we were to an MTGO Academy only finals. Holy catfish. <laughs> Would have had to, would have been talking to Enderfall about that one. Conspiracy <laughs> theories abound. Yeah. So on to the big match, the finals. Chris Cool, Green White Hate against Alberto Rodolve on Forcey Delver. And oh, in the end, let me ask you before you even get to the the results, who would you guys give the edge to in this one, the four color Delver or the Green White Hate? You know. I think I'd give the edge to Delver because of the non-linear nature of the deck. It's really hard to hate against. You can hate, you know, uh, the shuffle effects. Well, that's great. He still has Snapcaster. You can hate the graveyard stuff. Well, that's great. He still has brainyards and you know shuffle, brainstorms and shuffle effects. He has a lot of you know good counter magic. He can stop your best cards from coming on the board, and you know it has red in it. So I would lean that way. I think. I think it all comes down to, you know, like lightning bolts, things like of that nature. And one big thing to note in Chris Cool's build is he doesn't have um, Tarmogoyf. So everything can be killed by lightning bolt and snapcastering back lightning bolts. And yeah, so I think that's a pretty big deal to be able to kill every creature on the board there. For sure, and, and Chris Cool's got a lot of, I don't want to call them dead cards, but their functionality is not great against a deck like Albert Tordell's. It's, you know, things like uh, Elvish Spirit Guides and, you know, Ether Sworn Canonists and Gattachtees and Katakis and Leander well, Arbiter. I mean, Ether Sworn serves its purpose. It shuts down snappers. Well, that's true. Yeah. I meant Relic Warders, not Arbiters. I mean, I will grant that Alberto had basically nothing to board in and he had things like steel sabotage and <coughs> fluster storm and ancient grudge and that kind of stuff in the main deck so he definitely had quite a few dead cards he could have drawn you know what i really like about alberto's deck is i don't think you can appreciate the basic mountain enough I really, really like having that in the sideboard, specifically against like the stack strategies where they'll just keep wasting your vaults, and uh, just being able to off stuff like Lodestone Golem and, and and reliably play stuff like Ancient Grudge and Lightning Bolt both. It's it's invaluable. That and Gold Quarters as well. Yeah, I would imagine he probably did bring that in in this matchup to fight yeah. through Ghost Quarters. Yeah, wow. such a good card. So, so in the end, Josh. Alberto, he took it. Congratulations, so congratulations. to Alberto. <sighs> Woo! Season I'm one done. winner. And uh, as mentioned, all eight of these guys have qualified for our end-of-year QT. Or end-of-year, uh, what are we calling it? Invitational? Invitational. 
So uh, grads to all eight of these guys. Once again, the names from top to bottom were Fishy Fellow, Cat Weasel, Crispy One, Planet Walls, Calavera, Chris School, Excorpio, and Alberto Dalve coming in eighth, finishing first. Yep, pretty nice. Congratulations, Alberto. Nicely done. So now we all have to start brewing for season two. It's in a couple of weeks here. Our deck lists are due. Yep. What is it, October 28th, that you're to have uh, your deck list sent in to Enderfall? Uh, I will look here real quick. I believe it is the 27th. Okay. Wow, is that your strategy for this season? Tell everybody a day late? Be like, oops, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> There's only eight registrations. I'm in. <laughs> there you go. Top eight automatically. So I think it was a pretty cool event, guys. I thought it was a lot of fun. It got the community playing classic again, and we had stuff to talk about. It was a pretty good start, in my opinion. From what I've been hearing from people, we can probably expect an even bigger turnout for Season 2, so that would be really sweet. That would definitely be awesome. Yeah, it's bringing some life into classic for the first time in quite a while, so it feels great. Yeah. I, even in the tournament practice room right now, I'm, I'm seeing more classic games than I've seen probably in the last year in there. That's awesome. People are playing it. It's great. Speaking Not of... Uh, go ahead. Well, I think I'm going the same route you are here. Two <laughs> events fired that we can talk about here. Exactly. It's pretty sweet. I mean, you can really see the uh, ancillary effects of having tournaments like this. It's, it's cool. It gives people an opportunity to try out other decks and... Yeah, it's uh, it's pretty sweet to see two tournaments firing in a weekend. I think we had, th did we have three fire a couple weeks ago? Yep. So, pretty nice. The first daily here is on from the 22nd of September. And the winner in this one, no surprise, Excorpio. Yeah, one of the cool things about Excorpio is every time I play against him, it's just like, He's generally a pretty cool guy. He's never, like... I've been around. I've gotten in fights with almost everybody in Classic, and I've never even had an argument with this guy. He's just good at what he does. He goes about his business, and he always comes out with new stuff. Um, good guy, man. Like, I, I really can't speak highly highly enough about him, especially, you know, you won't hear me doing that a ton about people who are outside the clan, but he's, he's really a cool guy. I think this is the same deck he went 3-1 and one with uh, a week ago. With Singleton uh, Mox Diamond, and he's got a Demonic Consultation and a Singleton Chrome Mox. Yeah, yeah. what an deck. I don't want to make his head too big, but yeah, this is definitely typical like Scorpio. He does okay one week, and then the next week he's like, screw it, I'm going to win it, and he takes it down. <laughs> There's always something new in there. I mean, I remember when he was doing this with like some of these decks that were... I don't want to be a jerk, but some of these decks that he was winning with were just crappy, like that red-black-white deck. I have no idea how he was winning with it, but he was winning with it. He was 4-0. <laughs> yeah. He's a good player. Also so. had uh, Pat Lamb at 3-1, running uh, one of these decks that I used to see Monty playing a lot here with the uh, Slash Panthers in it. Yeah, it's been a while for me. Yes. Actually, we haven't seen anybody running this deck except for him since Classics started to come back. I think he's placed now twice with this deck. Pretty traditional build. 
still got the magic, it looks like. It's weird. Like, I, I said it back then, and I'll say it now. I just never saw how Slash Panther was that good, because you can't play it turn one, and it's four freaking mana. Yeah. I, I don't <laughs> get it. I mean, maybe I'm, I'm hoping for enlightenment here, Monty. Oh, well, sure you can get this guy out turn one. There's there's all sorts of ways, right? Well, just... yeah, you can soul ring or something like that, but it's a two-card combo to get him out. I mean, there's no, like, legit way that you can pretty reliably get him out turn one. You know what, though? Turn one is not important with a creature with haste. A creature that only does 20% of your life total with haste it is. Well, but, I mean, it's it's effectively coming out turn one when you can play it on turn two and, and hit for the damage. I, I see what you're saying. I just, yeah. Four mana, vanilla, bleh. You, when you, you, the reason he's good is when you cast that uh, Jace and you're feeling all smug when I've got no, no creatures to get through and kill him, I'm going <laughs> to pop that guy out and kill your Jace. Oh, I guess. Yeah, it's a good deck. Keeps winning, even now. But it is missing a card that Monty and I have been messing with in a similar build. <laughs> Bigger pardon and that is Cavern of Souls. Yeah, it's um, it's uh, interesting in a stacks build. I've taken out a couple ghost quarters for it, and I ran it in the last daily event, and unfortunately I ended up going 2-2, two and two, losing to a, a mirror stacks match. But, uh, yeah, it's been pretty neat actually having it in my, uh, my decks because it just takes the blue control guy by complete surprise. Drop a cavern so often pushing through one creature can be the difference between winning and losing so it's been uh been pretty good for me that's pretty cool what do you think of that zach i, I kind of like cavern of souls it's kind of like a uh an interesting idea there it's not really something I've, I've thought a lot about just because as you know i don't play a lot of uh stacks but that's pretty sweet man i like the idea i mean it's it's tough to Blue really does rely on counters. I mean, it has some removal. You know, some people drop the, you know, lightning bolts or the swords of plowshares or, or whatever you have, but that's it's a cool idea. Yeah, we'll see how it goes. We'll see if we can get into the money one of these days and, and we can really talk about it. We can feature it. <laughs> Definitely. So next up at uh, 3 and 1, we've got Lord Sapphire, and he's got his uh, oath build here. Looks like uh, pretty much a carbon yeah, copy of what Cat Weasel's running. Yeah, it's Cat Weasel's deck. Got a couple dragons breasts in there, and a couple show and tells, and other than that, it looks like it's pretty run of the mill. Yeah. It's a creature package: Grizzlebrand, Emrakul, and Blightsteel. You know what I like about her deck? That's not something I really like focused on. I didn't notice it until I played her. Is the three Library of Alexandrias. That is yeah. no joke. And when you have a blue deck that's drawing more cards than you and has ways to pitch stuff for free, like Mental Misstep and Force of Will that actually makes good use of the extra cards, that's a scary proposition. Well, Andy, I know you ran a four-times library oath build in the uh, winter events, so I basically just copied your deck list, and I think I just went three and one with it, but... Uh, yeah, I think that was right around the time when, when Library first started getting played in Oath consistently. Well, yeah, it was... Excorpio uh, was the guy to first exploit uh, Library of Alexandria, as far as I recall. And you yeah, were running Silver Bulls. 
I uh, I kind of ported it over to uh, to Oath during the winter events, and it was pretty good for me. Got me uh, won me a couple tournaments. So unfortunately, it didn't uh, do too well for me in the actual celebration event. <laughs> yeah, I, I I wonder how good um, library would be in 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 some of these decks that are so advantageous on the card draw, like. You don't see it played a lot with uh, Stoneforge Mystic, but having the ability to replace that card in your hand really, really seems good, you know, running a lot of the uh, LOAs. I don't know. Yeah. I think there's uh-huh. a lot of ways to use it that just haven't been done yet because the card's so, like, it's still fringe. Even now, I think it's fringe. Well, there was a guy in in the league that was running some Stoneforges, and he had some libraries in his deck. Seems good. Um, he also had a, oh, he had Lingering Souls in his deck, too. That's pretty good. What kind of a guy would play Lingering Souls? I don't know. <laughs> he, didn't have, he didn't have Elbrus, though, so that was probably why he only won three matches. I'll forever say if you played Elbrus, I think you would have done better. I think I would have, too. Elbrus is sick. So up next, uh... A more traditional good game oath type build is Skype sucks. Hey, that seems that seems offensive considering we're all on Skype right now. Yes, yeah, seems working to be working fine, but uh, he doesn't like it, and he's running the quad libraries in his deck. Wow, look at that! Looks good. Yeah, basically what we've seen before. He does have a singleton spell snare, which I know you like, Zach. I love spell snare, man. One of the coolest cards out there. Um, and then coming up last, I would have never guessed that he would be playing this deck. I wouldn't have guessed it in a million years. But we have Calavera at 3 and 1 on Merfolk. Oh, wow. Do you believe it? That's not his traditional choice of decks. No. <laughs> so, grats to you, Calavera. Another money. And uh, I guess we could seg right over to the next one on that note. Yeah. On the 23rd, he took it back in. Same deck. That has a terrible connotation. Better result. (laughs) 4-0. So congrats to Calavera. Two monies in the same weekend with with his his first love, Merfolk. You know, one thing I want to comment about Calavera's deck that is a little bit of break away from the norm is his two main deck gilded drakes. I think that's a sexy little piece of tech he has there. You know, as I said, that one game that he was playing against Planet Walls in the in the top eight where Planet Walls had the the Elish Norn down. It just looked like I, I mean, there was nothing Calavera could do that didn't just die instantly. Lo and behold he popped himself out of Gilded Drake and took his Elish Norn and Left, left his opponent with a 1-1 one, one flyer on the table. It was pretty neat. Yep. Yeah, that seems brutal. So next up we have two flowers at 3-1, and one, and it looks like he's running a pretty run-of-the-mill um, good game Oath build here. Looks uh, like Oath's I, coming back with these results, man. There's a lot of Oath. There's tons of Oath, isn't there? And the top eight of the league... Was what three out of eight were oath players? 
So that was the most consistent uh, top eight deck, it looks like. Yeah. That's going back. Actually, this uh, gentleman, Two Flowers, is is not actually a run-of-the-mill old deck. He's got some different pieces in here for sure in that he's running things like Jay's the Mind Sculptor. He's got Stronghold Gambit, Sylvan Library. He's got What the, the hell is Stronghold Gambit? Isn't that that red card that um, from Mercadian Masks? That the lowest casting cost creature, you can pop one on the board. Uh, yes, it is. Each player chooses a card in his or her hand, um, and then the player that reveals the card with the uh, the creature card with the lowest converted mana cost gets to put that into play. It's yeah, one in red. A couple weeks ago, I saw him playing it. I, I don't know what... I guess you play it when your opponent doesn't have a creature? Does that work? It seems pretty weird, not going to lie. I mean, like, it seems completely out of place. I, I, saw, just, I saw him drop an Emrakul on the table with it. He played it. I don't remember what his opponent had on the board or didn't, but that allowed Scorpio to actually put Emrakul on the table, that card. And it's two casting costs. One red, one white, I believe. Yeah. Regardless. Yeah, I don't know how. I don't know. I've never played with it, so I don't know. Do you get to put it on the table if your opponent doesn't have a creature in their hand? Well, I'm sure, because then it's the lowest casting cost. Yeah. But it seems strange. He doesn't have. Does he have any way to look at their hand? So he would never really know. I guess it doesn't matter to him, though. Maybe he uses it if he's got an oath on the table and no orchard. Because then either way, he either gets to activate his oath, or he gets to put his creature into play. Yeah. I think he gets to rock his dude out pretty much no matter what when he plays that card. I just, it seems like a total win more card. It seems like the kind of card where you would almost rather just have a show and tell. Just because if they don't have anything, you still get to put your dude into play. Yeah, they get something, but it's going to be like a land or uh, artifact or something like that. I don't know. It just seems really risky to me. Yeah, it's only creatures. Um, yeah. Next up, we have a dude who is a renowned classic player, but has been gone for a long time. Oh, and it gives me great joy to see he brought Shoth when he came back. Nice. Uh, Prolapsus, very good player. One of the former, I think he was the first classic player of the year. And uh, he's a really, really strong player. Think like Scorpio or Cat Weasel. Um, really, really good player, and he brought pretty generic three emeralds that didn't even run in the full package. But he's running the oath. The sh he's only running two show and tell, but he is running the four mystical package, which this is really the only deck that kind of abuses that, which is funny. Um, Triple spell snare. Yep, yep. I like it. I like it. He's a good player. Maybe I'll maybe I'll uh, sleeve this up and give it a shot. He's got two library in there too. Yeah, in the sideboard as well. He's got two more. Wow. Very cool. So next up, uh, who we got, Andy? We have got Uvatha, 3-1, and one, and he looks like he's playing the uh, uh, the Bant build here, Bant Fish. He's got the Knight of the Reliquaries, different card here, and Looter Ilkor, which is a 1-1 one, one creature with Shadow that lets you draw a card and discard, and now you're Typical stuff, Quasali Pride Mages, Meddling Mages, a couple Thalias, it's 
nice looking build. It's interesting. Yeah, he's the he's the. Oh no, that wasn't him. I was thinking he was the gentleman that was playing the. Um, uh, what's that card called? The artifact that gives you. My uh, apologies, um, I can't even remember what it's called now. Anyways. I find it funny that this guy's rocking four Force of Wills in a deck like this. Yeah. Uh, well, a lot of his creatures have... Blue? blue not not that many. You got Luteral Core, Meddling Mage, and one Trigon. Yeah, seven cards additional. I guess he doesn't... Seven, yeah. eight, nine, thirteen total blue cards besides Force of Will. That's really low. Yeah, it's low. Got three Goom as I was Jit, so I guess that's pretty good with Looter Ilkor in the creature matchups. Three Jits, <laughs> Jesus Christ. Yeah, that's a bit much. He's got the He's three Tabernacles. What are those for affinity? I don't know, because it seems like that hurts him too so badly. I know. <laughs> this guy, if I remember correctly, Uvata plays a lot of the blue white funky builds, so you kind of got to. You gotta expect something every once in a while out here that's different from a guy like that, so we'll yeah. see if he brings it back. Yeah, the tabernacles don't make any sense at all. That's interesting. And the final matchup, one we've seen before, Cat Weasel playing uh looks like the same deck from the league. Yep. I'm sure she just like saw the event was about to start so bleh, saw the event was about to start, grew up basically whatever she had on tap, and I think this was probably on top, so, you know. Well, this is always, this is always what we expect her to play, and you might see a change, like, one extra red blast, and, you know, it's always a subtle change. It's always understated and subtle, agreed. But, uh, keeps working. Agree. So that was that. Lots of oh, classic, that, man. That card's name is Shirtless Agent. Oh, uh, yeah. That was uh, Fist Alpha that played that, wasn't it? Yeah, that has the Cascade on it. Yeah. Uh. So up next, we have our Community Spotlight of the Wild Dog, and you wanted to take us through this, Andy? Sure. So what's your name and where do you live? So Wild Dog's name is Josh, and he's from West Lafayette, I-N. Is that Indianapolis? Indiana. Indiana. Indiana, there you go. If you're American, you would know that. <laughs> so, though I'd have to say that I have come to like the Midwest, I'm a southern boy at heart. Having grown up in Kentucky, as my accent assessed to, and for those of you that heard YSO that uh, about a year ago, boy, does he have an American accent. For those of you who have heard me on YSO, there you go. And how'd you become interested in classic in the first place? My love of classic goes way back to the early days of MTGO. He played paper magic since antiquities. Right when MTGO came out, he was moving away from Paper Magic as he was getting married, and he sold off all his precious power. MTGO, MTGO allowed him to keep playing and naturally gravitated towards the formats with the older cards. It was tough for a while as he did not have a lot of the old cards. He does remember being excited about playing Legacy Threshold with Shocklands, but as the old release in MED came along, the format really blossomed for him. I remember that too, why I was excited about playing Shocklands and Threshold. And if you could play any classic deck, what would it be? Having not read this already, I would have probably have said uh, Classic Dredge. But 
far as any classic deck at heart, he is a combo player, and classic has the most awesome toys to play with. He likes to play Dredge and Oath, but he wishes Storm was better in classic than it is right now. And he would love to rush Rock Gush Doomsday, or old-style Gush Tropical Storm-style decks. And if the Wild Dog has one quote that he likes to reiterate, it's stink on you, Lord Stone Golem. <laughs> what is your favorite MTGO accomplishment, whether it relates to tournament play, deck innovation, or community involvement? And that was coming in third place in last year's Player of the Year event. And it was grinding through all those winter celebration events, which was both fun and quite tough. There you have it. There's the wild dog in a capsule. It's definitely impressive. Third in the top eight is pretty tough to stick with the whole year. Yeah, nothing to shake a stick at. He's a good player. Definitely. We've seen him win a lot of tournaments with Dredge, so... Dredge. I played him in the league this time, and you did too, Andy, and I was glad to not be playing against Dredge. Yeah. All right, well, I think that's about all we have, unless you guys have anything else, so... Everyone should be sure to check out the feature matches of the top eight, and we'll get the top four in the finals uh, in the next article. And we should thank MTGO Traders for sponsoring us and Pure MTGO for hosting us. I think that's all. Definitely. You guys have a good week, and we'll uh, we'll come together next week with uh, old Andy, our new co-host, and Josh. All right. Thanks, guys. Guys. Thanks again. Have a good week, guys. See ya.